Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by the generous underwriting of CMF Curo. Learn more at www.mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, we have two guests joining us on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. We will have Dr. Kathleen Birchelman, co-founder of MyCatholicDoctor.com and a pediatrician, as well as sister Dr. Marisha Weber, a psychiatrist from St. Louis who works with the Archdiocese there and is a board member of MyCatholicDoctor.com to help us learn how to make the most of telemedicine visits. Andrew, this topic was your idea. What made it so important that you thought we should do a show on it? Yeah, that's that's a good one, Tom. I mean, telemedicine is the new thing in healthcare, and uh, while it hasn't been new exactly, it's new to me and probably to many of our <laughs> listeners. Uh, nobody saw COVID coming, and in the space of a month, you know how many places were shut down by mandates, and how many people shut down electively, and then everything had to be done virtually. I I was thrown into this telehealth situation without any particular training or equipment. And uh, we were lucky enough to get equipment, but very quickly people couldn't. What I'm trying to figure out is, okay, am I doing the best I can with telehealth from a doctor's perspective? And as a patient, what should I be looking for? My my son's got a telehealth appointment actually coming up. Some people are still doing quite a lot of it. Wow. What do I need to think of as a patient to make sure that all my T's are crossed and I's are dotted? Yes. At least you didn't dot your T's and cross your I's. That would have been a problem. But my eyes are often crossed when I think about telemedicine visits. (laughs) Have you done any telemedicine visits before the pandemic? Zero. Zero. And I, truthfully, I, like, I think many doctors have had concerns. I mean, I can't touch the patient. I, I don't have vital signs I took. We're relying on reports. There are things like that where, I think there's some real things that you got to be careful that we're not losing out on. But then there's also a lot of opportunities and almost universally people have told me like, I really like this. Please keep this as part of the practice. You know, it's so nice not having to wait in the waiting room and drive over and take the day off. And, and, uh, you, you've done some telehealth too though, Tom, right? I have done no telehealth by video because all I do now is cancer surgery and reconstruction. So my partners did, they, they had to pivot and we had done none like you until the pandemic hit. And you know some of their observations were, it took more time of their time because we can do a full body skin examination pretty well in two minutes or less. You know, People think, what, how can you? When you're used to pattern recognition day after day, hundreds and thousands of patients, believe me, you can recognize what doesn't fit. And if you have to look at it closer, you can or biopsy it. But you can't do that with a video. The video quality is not amenable to making good derm diagnoses. It, in fact, the way I used it, and I hadn't done it before, was for post-op visits. So pictures, patients take pictures of their healing sutured wounds or wounds healing without sutures. It is amazing how many poor ways a picture can be taken. <laughs> I just marvel at it. Bizarre angles out of focus in the shadow, no flash, too far, too close. And so that's one of the questions we're going to have for our experts. Is there a way to standardize that? Because patients wanted to reduce their visits back, and I was happy to do that. But my partners, I mean, you can't, um, you know, it's not as financially helpful for a practice because it's taking more time, and we're not able to do the procedures that dermatologists normally do on patients. We can't do biopsies. We can't do skin scrapings. We can't use a, a woods lamp on them, you know, an ultraviolet light. So, you know, I am I am not a particular fan for like skin cancer exams or exams of new conditions, but I know there are situations where you use it where it's been very helpful. Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I remember one patient who was calling in for a rash. I said, well, this is <laughs> slam dunk. This is easy. Uh, and then I found myself asking him, is it bumpy? Uh, I can see no texture. I, I see a vague erythema yeah. and that is it. Yes. And, you know, there's there's other things that it lends itself more to, such as, you know, blood pressure follow-up. You've got your log yeah. at home and most of the discussion we could have, and we, we trust them on their home blood pressure readings, forego listening to their heart and whatnot. 
but not not too much is lost there and a lot is gained in convenience but it definitely is not for everything as you mentioned with the skin cancer well one of the things that was so key in medical school was the art of the physical examination and plus the benefit of just touching a patient those are lost and i learned even in dermatology i could distinguish between certain rashes by feel no one teaches you that but after years of feeling things it's amazing what that can tell you. So I, I desperately um, would miss that. I was just glad through the pandemic, all my patients, I have to operate in person. I'm sorry. We can't do that with the telehealth. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's no telehealth. There's no app for that yet, right? Um, and, and I hope there never is. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really excited to, to hear some tips and tricks and hopefully provide content for our listeners so that for a future telehealth visit, they'll be well prepared to partake in that. And before we get to our experts, we'll go to our medical trivia question of the day. The category is the history of telemedicine. So what is generally credited as the first telemedicine encounter came when an anonymous writer wrote to the medical journal, The Lancet, about a case where a mother phoned her family doctor in the middle of the night, concerned that her baby's cough was croup. The doctor said, Lift the child to the telephone and let me hear it cough. After listening, he proclaimed, that's not the croup. The family was relieved and reportedly slept well. In what year did this take place? You're going to have to hang on till the end of the show for the answer to the medical trivia question. And we'll be right back after the break here on Dr. Doctor with our experts about how to make the most of your telemedicine visits. Welcome back to that part of the show, which is the guest interview, and that's plural today. Dr. Kathleen Birchelman is co-founder with her husband of MyCatholicDoctor.com, a Catholic telehealth uh, service and platform. She's also a pediatrician who still practices in-person medicine as well. Sister Marisha Weber is also Dr. Marisha Weber of the uh, Sisters of, Religious Sisters of Mercy, and she is a psychiatrist and a board member of MyCatholicDoctor.com. Welcome back, both of you, to Dr. Doctor. Thank you. Between the two of you, how many years of experience do you have with telemedicine? <laughs> well, I can begin with that one. I have been doing telemedicine in some fashion and have followed the advances in technology as then my participation in the advances have also augmented. Probably my very first what I would call telemedicine visit was via the fax machine where oh I was my. on the phone with a patient who was suffering from um, symptoms of um, severe anxiety and I, she was faxing over the fax machine, her lab work, her medications, the report from her medical doctor. And I was trying to talk to her in anticipation of her being able to come into the office for a visit because she actually was out of state. And I was doing this um, a little bit um, innovatively. Um, and then over that time, then I've been involved in you know Skype calls or um, um, as well as FaceTime and Zoom calls, and now some of the telehealth platforms. And so my subspecialty has lent itself fairly well to using telehealth, unlike you know surgical procedures that both of you discussed at the beginning. So how many years is that, sister? Oh well, I'd say it's probably 25, 30 years. And you, Kathleen? So I, like most of the medical world, is new. I'm new to telehealth. So my first telehealth visit was in 2018. Wow. And so if, that's excluding phone calls, of course, um, if you're just talking about video. And But I have gone through a major transformation on belief in telehealth, even just since 2018. And that um, change in in an opinion about telehealth mirrors that of our American society based on the research. So, you know, in 2018, I thought telehealth was appropriate as just, you know, for maybe for psychiatry, maybe for second opinions, consultations, occasional things. And in fact, when my Catholic doctor was first under development, our original vision in 2018 was that we would offer second opinions from a Catholic perspective. And I was the first to say that I didn't believe in 
teleprimary care or virtual primary care. I really thought it degraded care. However, I have changed. In 2019, I still said I did not believe in virtual primary care, but I thought that there were more and more things we could do very well via telehealth. And then COVID happened and I was asked to provide virtual primary care. I had all these, I'm a pediatrician, I had all these children that were otherwise simply not going to see any doctor unless I was willing to see them. And I started doing it. I started doing virtual well child checks and stuff I never thought I would do. And I am so surprised by how well it worked. So what are the the various permutations, the various ways that telemedicine can look? Is it just a video chat or is it more than that? Well, telehealth is so many different things and the, the term is very broad. And so thank you, Tom, for asking us to to, to define it more clearly because telehealth does include what Sister Marisha was talking about of, you know, faxing records and talking on the phone. That actually falls into the category of telehealth, right? But it also includes um, uh, anything, any any image that is evaluated by uh, a, a physician who is not local to the place where the image was obtained, whether that's a dermatologist looking at photographs, a cardiologist looking at EKGs, a radiologist looking at x-rays in that radiologist maybe on the other side of the world. It includes neurologists looking at videos of seizures and ophthalmologists looking at pictures of retinas from um, all anywhere in the world. And so the applications are tremendous. Um, but I think the most common use of telehealth right now uh, in the what I would call a traditional form is just video chat um, with a physician. Now, telehealth has exploded since covid but this was already gaining steam before that. What what are some of the factors that are leading people to turn to telehealth when they can? Well, before the pandemic, you know, is more limited to rural areas where patients might not have access to a physician locally, or they might have transportation difficulties, or they might have some kind of disability, which makes it difficult for them to travel. So those were some of the reasons why um, you might have used telehealth, which was not um, the favored way of getting healthcare at the time. But once the pandemic exploded, then it really brought telehealth into the mainstream. And the Trump administration had a big part to play in that. It began to make available payment for telehealth. The technology began to evolve for telehealth. And then it became possible to have a physician who's licensed in one state, actually physically in one state, be able to provide care in other states. And it became something that patients felt safe doing with the lockdown, the stay at home orders, the fear of COVID, the uh, limited services, even going to an emergency room unless you were really sick in order to keep you know, the, the COVID confined as possible. So it's really um, fostered a whole culture change in how medicine is practiced. Sister, do we have any good data on what patients think of telemedicine? Is it generally positive or mixed bag? You know, I've looked at several surveys and to my surprise, there's a very high level of satisfaction for those subspecialties that do not require, you know, on hands-on procedures. And some of the studies that I've looked at describe um, satisfaction up into the, you know, the mid 80%, 85% of patients who are using telehealth. They say it's convenient, it's less expensive, they can do it from their home. And of those that have engaged in telehealth, they also state that it's been as good as, and sometimes better than, their face-to-face -face contact with physicians. And I think that would depend on you know, what the relationship is with their physician, if they have rotating physicians, and you know what is available to them that might be more available in telehealth. You know, they also look at the population that's over 55, they're less inclined, and those that are between 18 and 24 are much more inclined to engage in, in telehealth. So there's even been a drop in face-to-face -face, uh, patient um, encounters by about 23% since last March, and it's dropped to another 37 or so percent in April. So it's just been a huge boom 
of telehealth um, popularity for some of those reasons. Kathleen, what what do we know about the flip side of that coin, the providers? You know, you you had mentioned initially having some hesitations, I guess, with telehealth. And I know at the beginning of the show, we talked about some of the the inconveniences or, or challenges where you can't listen to the patient's heart or look in their ears. How do providers in general feel about telehealth? Well, you know, we are required by law to provide care that is equal to in-person services, or if it's not, we must clearly document that and inform the patient. So morally, ethically, and legally, telehealth should be equivalent to in-person care. And if it's not, your doctor will tell you. And I can tell you, it's actually one of the first questions that almost every physician asks me when they consider starting telehealth is, how do I do this well? And it's its own learning curve for everyone, patient and doctor, but it's a pretty quick learning curve. And it's really exciting, all of the new technology that's available. You know, for about $25 on amazon.com, you can buy an otoscope that plugs into your smartphone or your laptop, and you can get a great picture of that eardrum. You can also use it to look at the back of the throat. There are stethoscopes that cost about $100. There's little EKG devices that cost between $50 and $100 that you just put your fingers on. All of this data can be obtained at home and transmitted to your telehealth physician. Um, And even if you don't have these kind of fancy devices, if you just have a bathroom scale, a thermometer, an automatic blood pressure cuff, and a fingertip pulse oximeter, we get a full set of vital signs. And so our ability to really take good care of patients um, is is greatly improved with this technology. And it's not expensive. Um, These devices, if you bought all of these devices minus the digital stethoscope, the total cost is under $100. So you've got ways to do it better than we could have done it five, 10 years ago. What are some of the true limitations of telemedicine. Well, so certainly everyone always talks about emergency. And and and, and look, if, if you're having chest pain, if, if you and your heart feel like this really is an emergency, you've got to trust your common sense. And if it's your child, as I always say, trust your mom's sense and your dad's sense, right? If you think it's emergency, you probably need to call 911. It's not time for telehealth. That's the first limitation. And then there's the obvious limitations, right? We can't um, do surgery or do give vaccines through a telehealth encounter. You can't deliver a baby, right? All that stuff. And then um, there are, you know, real limitations like ear infection. I will not prescribe antibiotics for an ear infection unless I can see that eardrum with the special camera. If you don't have the special camera, I'll encourage you to either buy it and get one day delivery on Amazon or go see somebody in person. And myself, if somebody's suicidal, I don't want to just take the risk of just talking to them via a video. I recommend that somebody help them get to an emergency room or call a neighbor, a family member, or um, if they're you know combative, either becomes a psychotic or whatever that might be, that that really needs a little bit more face-to-face human contact um, support than can be possibly experienced by the patient on the other side through a video cam. Are patients happier or more satisfied if they already have an established in-person relationship with the doctor and then go telemedicine versus someone who's only been seen by telemedicine? Yes, that's been our experience, that patients really want the ability to be able to see a doctor in person if needed. But um, even for our local patients, um, so most of our physicians actually provide a combination of telehealth and house calls. And um, a few of our physicians um, do have their own offices open too. And so even when given the option of in-person care versus telehealth, most patients, more than 90% of the time, will choose telehealth just because of the convenience of it, even if they're local, even if they're 10 minutes away from the physician. So that was really surprising to us that patients really want this ability to see the patient in person, but then when it comes down to it, choose in-person care infrequently. 
I would concur. I think that though initially there would be a hesitation, is it going to be as good? Am I going to be comfortable? They really can't touch me. They're not really there. Am I really going to get good care? But it's become more an experience of more persons that as they talk to other persons who have had telehealth, or sometimes there's a desire just to even try it themselves, that for some patients, once they've had that experience, if it's been a positive experience, they want to continue. And what I have found is they would want to also continue with that same physician or that same PA or nurses. So there's still the element of patient relationship is really key. Telehealth is not about substituting the doctor-patient relationship. It's about providing good healthcare in your area of specialty and maintaining and augmenting that doctor-patient relationship. That is really key. And when that is not there, patient satisfaction really goes down. It's interesting. I know in my my experiences, which have been limited to COVID and after that, we've had a lot more people really uh, kind of reticent to come back to the office because they like telehealth so much. Rather than people, we say, we should do this via telehealth. People have loved it, you know, which is unanticipated for me. But as I'm trying to learn here, I, I wonder if maybe each of you could share with us a story of, of a patient you've had who've explicitly benefited from telehealth in a way that traditional healthcare couldn't do for them. I, I have I have two that come to mind, but I'll start with one that happened during COVID. And it was um, a person I had never seen before. Actually, it was a cloistered nun who um, lives not too far from me in the archdiocese here in St. Louis, who had no psychiatric history at all. And all of a sudden I'm getting a call from the um, abbess who is saying this sister is very active. She's not willing to go to sleep. She is creative. She's kind of laughing and giggling. And her, we called the family doctor who said, I can't touch this. And we're afraid to go to the emergency room because we don't want her to get COVID. And we're not sure what to do. And we know that you're a sister and a psychiatrist and we'd like your help. So we got her on the phone with a FaceTime. One, though they don't use the phone, they, um, one of the neighbors brought over an and a smartphone where we could do some FaceTime. And so with the prioress beside her, I did a little intake and got a sense. And actually this person, this nun had a first time episode of a manic episode. So I tried to establish some eye contact with her, tried to calm her down, tried to explain to her what this was, that we could work on this together. And then I called in some medication to the local pharmacy, which was dropped off at the monastery. Then I met with this sister every day, sometimes two or three times a day, such that over a period of 10 days, then with the abbess there as well, she began to benefit from the medication. And now of note, I sometimes see her face to face here in the office, but she was my first contact during COVID that um, it would have been difficult for me to be of assistance had not telemedicine been available during the lockdown when no psychiatrist was really willing to take her at the at the hospital, even though this is Washu and SLU and this big medical, you know, area. And I was the one she reached out to and, and grateful that I was able to be of service thanks to telehealth. That's beautiful. Kathleen, what story do you have? Well, my heart really loves our school telehealth program. So again, I'm a pediatrician and I'm a mother of many. And I understand how hard it is to get that call from school that says, I need you to leave work and come pick up your child, especially if it's like something really minor that you think the kid should be able to just make it through the rest of the day with. Right. <laughs> and, um, and so it's been my joy, especially through COVID, to um, to have really founded and launched a school telehealth program here in the uh, Archdiocese of Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, it's just, it, it's so much fun because it's just a win-win-win for the student, the school, and the parent. And so it, it's, it's, 
it's sometimes it's a kid that um, they're not sure if maybe it's COVID and we have a COVID testing program in the school and I have a, I've trained um, one staff member to do the COVID testing and it was this big process to get this set up with CLIA waivers and all this stuff, but it works. And and guess what? It's not COVID. Okay, great. You just have a headache. Go back to class. Here's an ibuprofen, <laughs> right? And, <laughs> and, um, and the parent on the, you can, the parent always joins us in the, in, in we use Zoom for telehealth. So it's just a Zoom window and the parents participating in all this. So it's, you know, you've got the school a staff member, the student and the parent and the doctor all on Zoom together. And you can like see the parent like go whew, and relax when the, that COVID test is negative. Same thing when um, it's a twisted ankle or a minor, you know, allergies or something that you can just give this child a dose of an over-the-counter medication or we I diagnose ear infections frequently and then I, I prescribe the antibiotics to the pharmacy of choice and we give the kids some ibuprofen and kid goes back to class parents go back to work pick up their prescription after school and life goes on that is a great introduction to the subject. We're going to take our required break, but afterwards, I want us to get into the nuts and bolts of what a patient can do to best prepare and participate in a telehealth visit with our listeners here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor today talking about telehealth and telehealth visits. And jumping right back into it, we want to get down to the nuts and bolts of how to prepare for a telehealth visit. So Kathleen, let's talk about how a listener can make the most of their telehealth visit. Maybe you can first describe kind of what's going on with the doctor preparing for the visit and what the doctor or their assistant is doing as the appointment time is nearing. So actually a lot of prep time goes into every visit and I'm not sure patients really understand that, that before the visit, we review all the intake forms um, and we're gonna review their past records. And in many cases we're being called to consult. So I've actually been sent maybe sometimes 100 pages or more of outside records from multiple institutions. So there's a whole administrative piece of this that our staff had to get that information and organize it and digitize it um, and get it all in the patient's chart and then I review it all and then there's we there's there's the administrative piece of uh, the, of the the billing and the cards and everything and all that goes in ahead of time and then there's an appointment reminder that goes out to the patient and so we hope that by the time I'm actually chatting with the visit, we can really make the most of that appointment. So what really stinks is when I'm getting ready for appointment and I go to review the intake forms and they're not filled out. Ooh. So that is a thing that a patient can do to help their visit be more successful. That's right, because otherwise I spend half of the visit asking you all the questions that you would have filled out in the form. And then I actually have to type it all in and chart it all if the patient did fill it out ahead of time. And that takes up, you know, um, half of the visit time. And I don't have as much time to really um, delve into the problem. Because I, the time is still the time that was set aside. Yes, yeah. So if you get things done typing it in first on the patient side, you get more time addressing your needs with the doctor. Now, I know in our practice, when somebody is coming in, my partners have a medical assistant who takes down information and then the doctor comes in. It sounds like with your platform, that's typically not the case. We are automated and it is, I'll be honest, it is all about cutting costs, which is the norm in healthcare now. Um, I have no paid medical assistant that gathers that information. We ask the patient to fill out intake forms online, which are then securely in a HIPAA compliant manner um, uh, added to our electronic medical record and I review them. Okay, so you have done your prep work. What prep work should a patient do before a visit besides filling out those all important forms? Oh, I'd be glad to take that part. Um, what the patient needs to do is to really think in terms of what do you do when you actually go see a doctor face to face. And that prep work is very similar. You, like Kathleen said, you have to prepare the, they give you forms to fill out, all your medical history. So have the forms filled out, or at least if there's somebody's going to get that from you when you have your telehealth visit, because there's a, a nurse or assistant doing that, have your medication list ready. How often you take the medications, um, how recent they might be, what the doses are. And like Kathleen said earlier, it'd be very helpful if you take your temperature at least within the past 12 hours 
take out your blood pressure if you don't have a cuff. Most pharmacies have a cuff that you can use to slip in and get an accurate blood pressure. Take your pulse. Also weigh yourself. And and so those kinds of things are very helpful for, you know, the physician because also write down, you know, what you're going to see the doctor for so that you have it succinctly. These are my concerns and these are the symptoms that I have. And so you have that written down so you can speak to your physician about it. And then it's also helpful once you, you um, even before your visit, I would recommend that you already set up a quiet place for your telehealth visit that's private and get good lighting. Don't have a window be behind you because it'll make it unclear for the physician who might be trying to look at a rash or your face or even just try to have eye contact with you because of the glare from the window. Um, also, ahead of time, make sure that your audio is working. Make sure that your video is working on either your iPhone, your smartphone, or your computer or iPad. Um, and I understand that some are not as computer technology knowledgeable. So you might ask you know, a younger member of your family, if you're a bit older and this is so new to you, or a neighbor to help you. Some have also you know, a little video that you can look at or screenshots. Some even have a little practice with you the day before, or you might have somebody come over and help you just log on the day before so that you really are prepared and not get all caught up with your technical um, difficulties when you're really there for your own health care needs because that can really get in the way of you having a good visit with your doctor. Um, and then just share pertinent information. You know, I haven't been eating as well. I'm not sleeping as well. Or I'm having difficulty walking or I have this pain. Um, Sister, know, that yeah. was rife with practical help that patients should listen to before they do their visit. If if my patients did those things, if Andrews did those things before a visit, it would be a highly successful visit. And sometimes even letting the doctor at the front end of the visit see or know those questions, then the doctor can figure out how best to spend that time. I'm not sure patients realize, like when we send in the medical assistant, a lot of times initially to give vital signs and to go over the chief complaint and a little of the history, Part of the reason for that is for us to help set the mental agenda so that the time is budgeted well. Yes. Um, otherwise, we're, we're liable to be running out of time, and it's it's stressful to try and accomplish everything, and, and I hope that I do justice to all the different questions that you have. And a little practical point. You mentioned the window. If you have a window in the room where you are as a patient, face the window. It will light up your face so you are easier to see. It's, it's a simple little thing most people don't think of. Okay, that was great. What is the best way then? So we've got the doctor prep, we've got the patient prep. What's the, the best way to connect? How do you know that? What's a good setup? What's a cheap way to have a good technical setup, Kathleen? You know, your smartphone is probably the best camera you own. And what you really, the best way to get a good connection is to use your smartphone and the app for your telehealth app on your smartphone, which for many people is Zoom, just the plain Zoom app. And, uh, and then stabilize that smartphone, even if you're just using, you know, something to prop it up. Um, but you can also get these fancy stands. But a smartphone camera that's stabilized is usually your best option. I'd like to add that many people do telehealth visits from their car. And I understand because you're at work and that's your private space. <laughs> Um, so I do a lot of visits in cars. And um, so if you're sitting um, in, a, in the uh, driver's seat, if you put the driver's seat all the way back, I can get a really good view of you and you can prop your phone on the steering wheel. That I love awesome. those practical tips. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sister, one of the things you had mentioned earlier that I caught on to was the eye contact from the story that you had mentioned you know, there's there's definitely some differences between the patient and doctor interaction virtually than in person. What are some of these differences and what's our best strategy for overcoming those? I think basically when you put your 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 webcam or your camera, you know, have it so that you're it's you know it's at eye level. So you're literally making yourself have eye contact with your your physician or um, nurse practitioner and 
and and really you know there's the the turn taking if you have you know a symptom to communicate or um, you're listening to what the doctor is asking you then you know they might have you you know uh, push on your belly if you've got belly pain or your chest and so that you're engaging with them there's a sense of you know listening and then you know, taking the instruction, then offering information about what your need is, and then making sure you understand. So there really is some conversational skills that are very key to a good physical exam and a very productive visit. And I would say also before the visit ends, if you have a question or if you want to know when you're supposed to come back or what you should look for to ask that or if your physician or your physician offers it, then take notes. Have something you can write on so you can jot some of this information so that you can recall what took place, that you'll be better prepared because it takes time to also adjust to this new modality for all of us. Um, and over time and with practice, you'll get more familiar with it and it'll be less unfamiliar, but you'll come more prepared. It'll be more automatic, so to speak, more, more natural. How often do you have to take a look at some area on a patient's skin and have them put the, the smartphone on an area that's not their face? And then how do you do that? <laughs> do, you, do you have somebody else do it for them? Yeah, it's so funny. We had one of... Um, you know, a, a patient who was having ankle problems and she was sure it's the medication that I had given her. And anyway, she's taking her, her smartphone with her FaceTime and pointed it as her ankle as the cat goes by and <laughs> totally useless. So again, what I try to tell my patients is, you know, please, you know, imagine you're wanting to take a prize winning picture of what you want your physician to understand about why you're going to see him or her. So what's going to be a top quality that gives good color, that gives, you know, that maybe the texture to the degree it's possible on your camera. And it might be that you're not the one to take the picture because it's sometimes hard to take a picture of your own rash or your own lesion or your own healing wound that you want to send to the doctor. And I think it's very important to realize that natural light is best Remove your jewelry, your clothing, don't have busy clothes around it, kind of a neutral background, and then hold the camera steady and not at an angle, you know, an oriented parallel to what you're taking a picture of. And this is where it might be best to have somebody else take the picture for you. Right. Take a close Imagine how many patients I have who have a leg wound healing and they take their own picture from face level of a leg wound. Oh, no. Bad, bad idea. Go ahead with your good suggestion, sister. Yeah, and then take a close-up, take a medium view, and take a more wide-angle view, and then check the picture yourself. If you were to be like the doctor or to really describe this in detail accurately, by looking at the picture you took, could you do that? Is it a funny angle? Does it distort what you're actually seeing? Is it out of focus? Then retake the picture. That's the gift of these cameras. You can retake them and retake them until you have an award-winning potential picture that you can send to your healthcare provider so they can look at what is going on to be of greatest service to you. So you would say have them stand in front of a window with outside light coming in. Yes. Actually, some of the best pictures I've gotten have actually been taken outside in sunlight because yeah, the lighting is absolutely gorgeous. Great, great, yes. Well, and then also and some people forget if, you know, if they have a healing wound to remove the bandage. <laughs> yes, I <think> that <laughs> happened. So um, just remove, it off. <laughs> yeah, remove the bandage gently. And then if you need to, if there's a lot of blood that's kind of seeped out, you know, just tap it gently to kind of clean it so that they can actually see what's, what's there. Um, again, imagine if you had to, really describe the state of that wound or, you know, an injury, what is going to be the best way to communicate that? And with that, you can get much better health care, which is what this is all about. Sister, you know, one of the things that I, I liked that you focused on was the describing. And I think we take for granted sometimes in medical school how much we're really put to the task of describing with words, physical exam findings that patients are just not, you know, it might not be on their radar. 
you know, you, you had been talking about taking photographs. So much of this is done via video. Is that, is that an absolute must? Would you say it's kind of hopeless to capture some of these things on video? They should maybe send photographs and maybe blood pressure logs or something like that before the visit. Would that be ideal? I think if it's if it's a, um, a static image like a you know an, an injury or a wound or a healing wound, that would be static. But you know I can tell you that sometimes persons have movement disorders that I'm asked mm. to look at, or is it a medication side effect um, where they have you know they can have different motions of their face or arms? Sometimes it might be helpful for them to take a video so I can see right. what they are experiencing. And that would give me a more complete picture that I couldn't do, or sometimes to see, you know, what was called proprioception or their balance, um, you know, in space. I might have them walk and have somebody videotape them walking, or the eye-hand coordination, you know, nose to um, their finger to their nose, and are they able to alternate that with accuracy? That would give me information that would not be conveyed in a static picture. So sometimes videos can be very helpful and provide more information. Now, now Kathleen, is it true that the resolution with a still image is usually higher than the resolution with video? Yes. And, and again, it, it really depends on your camera. Most people are using cell phone cameras. So yes. And, and therefore, that's why for a, a non-movement disorder, it, where what I do uh, if I can have a still image of high resolution, far better than any video would be. So there's a appropriate place for each, it sounds like. What other practical tips do you two have for patients to make the most out of their visit? And you've already filled to the brim, so if there's more, it's just overflowing. Well, I think, you know, practicing pediatrics, one of my joys of telehealth that, that was sort of unanticipated is I really get to see families as they are at home. And that, that's okay, right? I have seven kids too, and my house is messy too. And um, <laughs> and I'm usually, you know, I'm usually in the family's kitchen or sometimes it's a bedroom and often there's little, there's little siblings, you know, doing whatever they're doing, running around. And, um, and there's something, there's something very nice about it. There's something very real. I think it does add to um, the doctor-patient relationship. It allows me to really understand. I, I'm not going to ask a parent that's, you know, a mom that's caring for six children under age eight to um, go fill something at the pharmacy right now. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say, would you like me to have that delivered? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, you get a real feel for what families are going through and, and, and that you don't get in the office. I really concur with that. You know, sometimes people are embarrassed. Have you see their home setting or or what they're you know struggling with? And I think, you know, we're physicians, hopefully, that have compassion on the suffering of others. And if, if it's a med if it's a physical suffering, you know, that lends compassion and also there's some financial concerns or emotional concerns and there's a way to connect with our patients as well if you know we can share some of that maybe they need help with groceries maybe they need you know other things that aren't necessarily something they're going to ask for that we can connect with them with social services so then other healthcare offerings that are ancillary can be made possible simply because we've been invited into you know the 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 sacredness of their home space that we take with high regard and also um, confidentiality, but for, for their health and for their healing, you know, with the dignity that is really due them. Man, that's beautiful. I, I, I was just thinking as, as Kathleen was mentioning earlier about pressing on the belly and trying to elicit physical exam findings from the patient. I, I've got to ask, do you guys have funny stories about that? Sister, you mentioned <laughs> the finger to the nose, which is a common neurologic thing that we would check. Uh, but I can only imagine that with the, your guys' experience, maybe if you, if you could share another story or two with us. Well, you know, in pediatrics, it's usually the mom that's with the child. And so you're asking the mom to do some aspects of the physical exam, right? So you're, um, in particular, lymphadenopathy, I have the child look up and I tell the mom- Swollen to glands for if, the rest of us. Yeah, so looking for swollen glands in the neck. And I'm saying, do you feel here? And you, you have to explain to the parents where um, the 
glands are in terms of feeling the abdomen. Um, I'm explaining to parents, you know, pr pressing down on the right side and the lower aspect of the right side. That's where the appendix is. And um, the, so as a pediatrician, the children often laugh when I start the abdominal exam because they're ticklish, right? <laughs> but and um, there's something about um, a mom that somehow is less ticklish. And um, so when the parents do it, they get a better response than I do. And and also, I have to say that teaching parents to do the physical exam is not unlike teaching medical students to do a physical exam, which is something I did for many years mm -hmm. as a faculty at Washington University School of Medicine. And so I, I do really enjoy it. And I also think it's very empowering to the parent that once that parent knows you know, where the appendix is and what swollen lymph nodes are, they're, they're empowered. That's a great story. We have about a minute left. What final words of wisdom do you each want to share with listeners about making the most of their telehealth visits? Connect with your patient. Just, you know, be who you are. Be present to them. We know that certainly there's a lot that is spoken and that's necessary, but so much that is communicated is by facial gestures and tone of voice. Um, it's said that, you know, 7% is really only verbal, but our body posture, our tone of voice, how do we empathically be interested with what our patient is presenting, I think can also make a big difference in a patient's being experienced as understood and cared about. And that can be communicated also through telehealth as well as face-to-face, -face. but it's very important to really be attentive to that in telehealth. And Kathleen? Well, telehealth should enhance the doctor-patient relationship, not minimize it. So if you get the feeling that the, that your doctor-patient relationship is not going well or you're not getting enough face time with your doc, find a new doc, whether they're in person or on telehealth. And, and with telehealth, one of the big advantages is your doctor goes with you wherever you go. If you're on vacation, if your child goes to college, your doctor goes with you, and that should enhance that doctor-patient relationship. Thank you, Sister Marisha. Thank you, Kathleen, for being with us and our listeners here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back with Dr. Doctor and this telehealth visit. We've come to the time for the trivia question. And Tom, you got one that actually stumped me. I did not guess this. Oh, I, I wouldn't have either. It, it was, I'm so glad I stumbled on it. I love little historical tidbits like this. So the first recognized episode of telemedicine with a diagnosis made over a telephone reported in the medical journal Lancet, which is still around today. So I described that the child did not have croup based on the doctor listening to the cough. What year did this happen? 1879, three years after the invention of the telephone. See, that's incredible to me. I mean, I guess I, I didn't know that much about about telehealth back then, but uh, to even think that that would occur to them, you know, that's really incredible. And I, I is thought a great it's beautiful. For it. Amen. So, Andrew, this was full of practical advice. What are your top three takeaways, especially as a physician who does telehealth? Yeah, you know, number one takeaway, I'd say uh, maybe for physicians it is something that I did not do, but I, I would do in the future is send patients a list of top 10 do's and top 10 do nots to help them prepare. Most of us got thrown into telehealth without adequate preparation or training, and you kind of build the airplane as we fly. Uh, <laughs> but I'd say give patients advice. And so the other two, the other two top threes would be directed towards patient. One would be prepare for the visit. Uh, don't just show up. Uh, have your medications ready, uh, have temperature, weight, blood pressure, and heart rate taken within 12 hours of the visit, have that information ready, um, and have a list of questions ready. Actually, I would even encourage folks to send their list of questions or their blood pressure log to the physician before your visit so that they can review that information and it's not taking up time. You know, all, all these things unfortunately run on a schedule. And if we're spending half the time trying to obtain a blood pressure, where that's less time that we get to render medical care and make sure we cover everything. The, the other thing I would say is don't underestimate or minimize forms that your doctor sends to you. I think a lot of times patients can feel like, I've told my story three times, or why do I have to fill this out again? But they all do render a very important function. And in the setting of telehealth, 
Kathleen described it very clearly that if if it's not done ahead of time, really it's just cutting into that visit again. And we want to make sure, as Kathleen said, telehealth enhances the doctor-patient relationship, not detracts from it. I think those are all excellent points. I mean, I mean, all my life, the reason I've succeeded in things has all been in the preparation, the hard work that goes before the actual event. The same is true of a visit with a doctor office. Be there on time, be there with something that can give a good image of you. And I love sister. Yeah. Don't sit with a window behind you. Sit facing the window. That natural light just can bathe your face so well and help make a good connection with your doctor. Um, unless you want to remain anonymous. <laughs> the, the, the window behind you is very good for that type of thing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is true. You will just be a silhouette to us. Uh, and I remember back on the height of the pandemic lockdown, uh, we interviewed a, a young uh, psychiatry resident at the time, Francie Broghammer, and, and she commented on something we heard here that for her psychiatry patients, it gave her insight into their personal lives she didn't have before because she could see them in their, their natural habitat, so to speak, in their surroundings. And so that augmented uh, her relationship with them. So, and then Kathleen is a pediatrician, you know, yeah, there's, there's a kid tacking another kid, chasing the cat, putting it in a, in a pillow sack or something, who knows, but you get to <laughs> I, see real life. I, I do think it's beautiful. It's kind of the new home visit where you, you get to come to the patient ah. and learn about them in that context. And with that excellent insight from Andrew, we'll thank you for listening to us for another episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. We ask you to share the good news of the show with a friend, invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And you can also find all of our old episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. For those who want to dive deeper into some topics, check out our website for bonus links and information in our post for each episode. Just click latest at the top of the main page. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-host or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.